0: The Refuge Podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Our lesson this morning comes from the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Starting with the 14th verse, for it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me these five talents. See, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter, then you ought to have invested my money with bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents, for to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance." But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uncomfortable as it is, friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Tom Sine in his book, The Mustard Sea Conspiracy, tells of his parents and one of their delightful hobbies. They lived in California and they loved to stroll in the woods. And while they strolled, they would collect edible wild mushrooms. They were experienced enough to know the difference between the edibles and the ones that were poisonous. One Saturday, they collected two baskets full of the delectable morsels. They couldn't store them, so they decided to make a phone call and invite several couples over to their house to have a mushroom fest. And they had a mushroom fest. There were omelets, there were crepes, there were souffles, There were even so many mushrooms left that there were enough to chop up and saute and put in a little dish for the kitty. Man, they feasted on mushrooms and then they sat around the table drinking wine and talking and having a great time. About midnight, one of the ladies slipped into the kitchen and noticed an overturned bowl of mushrooms next to the cat's head and the cat was in a full grand mal seizure. Immediately, a call was made to the poison control hotline and the people at the poison control center said, get to the emergency room, do not pass go, do not collect $200, go straight to the emergency room, tell them there is a good possibility you've eaten poison mushrooms so all these couples piled in their vehicles they descended on the emergency room and they were all put in this nice room together to have their stomachs pumped about 115 they were finished they went back to their host and hostess's house to collect their purses in their coats, they were tired, they were sick, they felt horrible, they hoped they never saw a mushroom again for as long as they lived, and they were about to leave, and one of the ladies whispered, what about the cat, the cat? So they crept to the kitchen door and they slowly opened the kitchen door. And there lay the cat in front of the refrigerator with eight kittens. Moral of the story, check your assumptions before you make them. Check your assumptions before you come to the pages of Scripture, before you say this is what it means. Because for years we have taken the dramatic, literary, critical way of interpreting scripture. And we take scripture and we slice it real thin and we hand you a section of scripture on a Sunday morning and we say, this is what we want you to learn from this passage of scripture. And that's how we've handled the parable of the talents. In a nice section, just as I read 16 verses, Start it, end it, hand it to the congregation, make application, and the congregation goes, Thank you for that application. Let us go about our lives. The problem is with the parable of the talent, if I do that to you, it won't make much sense because we've got this economic thing going on and we're doing it with talents. A talent is not a denomination of money, it's a weight. Gold, silver, and copper come in talents. And so when the man is given five talents, he's basically given five bricks of a metallic substance. He has to go and convert the metallic substance into cash, make whatever trades he wants to make, then come back, convert it back into talents. So there's a whole economic thing going on in the first part of this parable with the first two, five talents and two talents. Now, they both doubled what their master gave them. We think, I want to find that guy and make them my stockbroker because I like his investment strategy. I would like to double what I've got, except do you want somebody that reckless with your investments? do you? Because obviously this guy was trading, these two guys were trading in what would be dangerous investment tools if you are risk averse. But they doubled, they doubled, they got twice what they had. And the master said, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Is that how you're supposed to live life? Double everything that comes to you. Take risks. Go for it. Don't hold back. You're looking at me like you're not buying that. You're going, no, I don't think so. I want to be very careful with what I do. Okay, the third guy, the third guy, I can prove he was a United Methodist in the first century. He's there. What does he do? He's so afraid he is not going to take the talent and cash it in because he might get cheated by the money changer. And then when he goes to, to get a talent back, the money changers might tr- cheat him on the end of that deal. His His master is a hard guy, so he takes the talent and he buries it. Back in the early 80s, when I first started out pastoring Methodist churches, The finance committee had a bunch of people on the finance committees that had survived the Great Depression. They'd come out of that. They'd come out of World War II. They were very conservative. And almost every finance committee that we considered doing something, one of the guys or gals who had come out of the Great Depression was like, preacher, before we do this great and fateful thing, have you counted the cost? Well, Jesus told us to count the cost. It's right there in Luke's gospel. It's the 14th chapter, the 28th verse. For which of you intending on building a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost and see whether he has enough to complete it? And that's how we Methodists live. We count the cost. And if it's risky, we don't do it because we've counted the cost. And if it takes faith, we don't do it because we've counted the cost. We're really good at doing nothing while counting the cost. Is that what you want? Well, I might like for my stockbroker to count the cost. Yes, I'm risk adverse. I need good conservative. Yeah, I would like to I would like to have a stockbroker that would give me back what I put in. Really? Is that what you want? So, what does this parable mean? Is Jesus rewarding recklessness? Is someone who is conservative, who is careful, who is risk averse, punished? Is that what it means? Or maybe he's talking about our talents. Maybe it's not talents as a brick of copper, gold, or or silver. Maybe it's talents in our ability to play the guitar or to sing or to have the other talents you have. Maybe that's what Jesus meant. So get out there and go for it. What if you're like me and you don't have any musical talents? What can I do? how can I be faithful to this? So if you take this parable and you just slice it up and you read it and you try to exegete it just by itself, you're gonna get yourself in a lot of trouble. I'm gonna help you get out of that trouble and tell you that Matthew warns us this parable's connected to something else. It's amazing the light Scripture shines on Scripture when we read it as a whole. In the 24th verse of Matthew 25, there's a hint. Then the one that had received one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. That is not a good way to start a conversation. Master, I knew you were a hard man, but listen to this reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seeds. The metaphor has shifted. And then it is the 29th verse that is the key because this verse appears in the same wording in another part of Matthew. Jesus says to the man, for to all those who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. That verse appears in the 13th chapter of Matthew. Jesus said, For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from, whom the, for, but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Do you suppose that the two stories are connected? They're connected. What's in Matthew 13? The parable of of the sower seeds Matthew 13 verse 1 same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, "Listen, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some of the seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, and they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, and since they had no depth of soil, the sun rose, and they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen I want to say to you that the 25th chapter, the parable of the talents and the 13th chapter, the parable of the sower should be read like this, that you need one to understand the other one, that you need the the last one to get the full impact of the first one. The parable of the sower, what we do in the church is we make it a parable about cardiac, cardiac pedology. And the word pedology means the study of dirt. And how we've preached this in the church is we've said, what kind of heart do you have, brothers and sisters? Do you have a stony, hard heart? Is your heart turned from God? And when the word of God lands on your heart, it just falls on a hard path. And the birds come and take the seed away. Or brothers and sisters, do you have a shallow heart? Your heart is shallow and you want to know Jesus, but knowing Jesus is hard work and the seed will grow a little bit and it'll sprout up. All of a sudden, the sun will shine. Hard times will come and your seed gets scorched. Or brothers and sisters, did your seed fall in good ground? But you've let the world gather around you and worldly things have grown up. Now the thorns and the thistles are growing around your seed and soon are gonna choke the seed off. Yep, that's how we preach it. You're supposed to figure out what kind of dirt you are. And at the end of the sermon, there'll be a rousing invitation to come to the altar and get your heart or your dirt Right? so that the seed will grow. And I will to say that's not how you interpret this. Don't try to figure out what kind of dirt you are. Whew. You're the sower. You're the one sowing the seeds. Jesus basically in the church gave us the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. The Great Commandment says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Great Commission says, Go and make disciples of all nations. You're the sower of the seed you and according to Jesus we just sow the seed we don't worry about where it falls because some of the seed we sow as Christians is going to fall on rocky ground it's just not going to take and some of the seed is going to fall on other ground that it'll take for a little while but it gets choked off or run down or gives up you're in the sower And there is nothing that brings more joy to a human being as to see another human being come to faith in Jesus Christ or to watch another human being's faith deepen and grow. So get out there and start sowing those seeds. I don't know much Bible. It's not what it says. You have a story no one can argue with. You have a story no one can contradict. It's a story of what God's doing in your life. That's your story. That's called subjective knowledge. It's the highest form of knowing. You know it because you know it. You know it because you've experienced it. You know what Jesus has done for you. Share the story. Sow the seeds. You sow seeds when you get knocked down. Remember our great theologians, Chumbawamba? You sow seeds when you get knocked down and when you get back up. You sow seeds when you say to somebody, I know you're scared, but come on, I'll go with you. We can get through this together. You sow seeds according to the later part of the 25th chapter of Matthew, when you give a drink of water or a morsel of bread, when you make a visit, when you close somebody, when you Do something compassionate and loving. You sow seeds. I'm scared. I know. But we're not required to fertilize the seed or to put herbicide on the seed or to plow and till around the seed, or even harvest the seed. Jesus just told us to sow the seed. Throw it out there. Share the love of God in Christ with someone. Love somebody in Jesus' name. Be kind and compassionate to somebody in Jesus' name. When you're on Facebook, don't respond in Jesus' name. Do you see how this works? You're always broadcasting seed. You're always sharing the love of God in Jesus Christ. You're always living as a Christian. And for some people, it's gonna make a life-changing difference. And for others, it's not gonna take. That's not your responsibility. You've only been called to sow the seed. That's what aggravated Jesus about this third guy. He wouldn't do anything. He was paralyzed with fear. So rather than do something, he buried it. Don't do that. Share the love of God in Christ Jesus and do it your way. You got to do it your way. You got to be consistent with who you are as an individual, with who you are In Christ and friends, you're connected to great people. You know all kinds of people who don't know Christ. Sow the seeds, share the love, make a difference. Because when you think about it, that's how you came to your faith in Christ. It's personal, it's individual. It's intimate, but somebody brought you your faith in Christ. A Sunday school teacher, a preacher, you may have been at church camp. You didn't just go poof. I'm a Christian. Your faith was mediated to you. It was brought to you by someone else. Remember? I thank God for a group of people in Decatur, Alabama that just kept sowing the seed because I was hard-headed and hard-hearted. But finally, it took. And that's why you're here, because someone sowed the seeds in your life. You know, the great thing about being a dad with kids that are bringing you kids is I've survived some of the milestones of parenthood. I have survived t-ball. I have survived pitching machine baseball. And my daughter went from t-ball to it wasn't fast-pitch softball and it wasn't slow-pitch softball. It was pitch any way you can softball. And we traveled around beautiful Bienville Parish all summer. We played in Heflin. We, not Heflin, maybe Webster Parish. I thought, is Heflin Webster Parish or Bienville Parish? I don't know. We played in Ringo. We played in Castor. We just played softball everywhere. And Allison was a catcher. And Allison hated being a catcher because her mother sat right there by the fence and was always encouraging her. Yes, I'm married to a softball mom. Ugh. There was a girl on our team, Megan. And Megan played in the outfield. Megan was fast, she was the fastest girl on the team. She could run like the wind. But that whole summer, here is what Megan did batting. She walked up to the plate and put the bat right there on her shoulder. And the bat did not move. The whole season, She did not swing at a pitch, nary a one. And the teams knew that when Megan got up, she was not going to swing. And it was frustrating for the pitchers because for some reason, knowing that, they couldn't throw strikes. Megan walked a lot. She stood there, not swinging. Megan's mother, Suzanne, was extremely competitive and wanted her daughter to succeed in everything and wanted her daughter to be the best hitter on the team. We were in Ringgold or Castor, I don't remember where. It was the last game of the season. It was basically Megan's last at bat. Megan comes to the plate, taps the plate, puts the bat right here. Kind of halfway holding the bat. First pitch comes, ball one. Second pitch, strike one. And Suzanne had all she could take. And so she yells in front of the crowd, home team, opposing team, and Lord God Almighty, Megan, if you'll swing the bat, I'll pay you $20. Just swing the bat, baby. Can you imagine? Is an athlete going to the plate and not engaging? Is a student going into the classroom or the academy and never opening a book? Is a Christian never throwing out the seed? And let someone know about Jesus Christ. Go ahead. Sow the seed. You're not held accountable for the results. You're just called to sow the seed. In Jesus' name. Would you stand and pray with me? We pray, oh God, that we would be faithful broadcasters of the love and grace of God in Christ Jesus. That you will show us ways to cast seed and to sow seed. Ways that are not frightening, but ways that will change a life for Jesus' sake. And we pray in his name. Amen. (music) Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityrustin.org.